you're on the one 91 fm with this academic life and we are joined now with this triumphant return to radio one olivier are you there what's up lawrence how you doing man? good how you going olivier you're enjoying sunny fiji i think is that right yeah oh no doubt yeah fiji is um is where it's at it's uh no complaints from me uh you know suva is not the funniest we get a lot of a rainfall annual rainfall is ridiculous but hey man hey it's kind of like the it's a fantastic place to research and raise kids and all that good stuff yeah and what exactly are you doing over there so i'm, I'm teaching in journalism yep. uh at the yeah at the university of the south pacific um broadcast lecture and so i'm doing online uh tv journalism radio and uh I teach a paper and research methods and I'm just converting my online radio course uh, to, for, to be offered next year. So uh, anybody wants to do a uh, radio journalism online course, uh, holla at your boy Olivier, and uh, we can do this. You want to be in Dunedin and study at USP? No problem. Oh, wow. Can I, I can be anywhere in the world and study. Is that what you're saying? I, I believe that's how the Internet works. Okay. Wow. It's on, I heard recently it's on computers now. Is that true? Something like that. Wow. Uh, they got the tubes, and, and we're set. And I, I won't have to worry about any microaggressions on the Internet as well, so that's good. Oh, no, 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 no. The Internet is a, is a dark and, uh, and scary place uh, full of people. I mean, listen, Russia has an army of trolls. What can I say about that? Like, trolling has been kind of uh, brought in as like a weapon of statecraft. Uh, by the Russian government. And there's an interesting history about this. In 2010, there's a lot of anti-Putin opposition, and it was coming from social media spaces, and there was a lot of rhetoric um, about, you know, this is a kind of critical alternative space for an alternative Russian public sphere. And so the Russian state said, well, you know what, we've got to shut all that down. So we're going to have an army of trolls on the state payroll just messing, messing everything up, right? Right. So, just, just getting out there and, and getting nasty. And in fact, I mean, we wanted to we wanted to talk about microaggressions a little bit. This is kind of it's kind of related in the sense that um, we feel vulnerable today. Uh, there's lots of reasons why young people, political activists, students uh, have uh, a lot of reasons uh, to feel vulnerable um, in America. If you're African American, I mean, there's a whole police prison industrial complex set up to terrorize you and to brutalize you. Um, but in, on top of that, if that's not enough, we're talking crazy student debt. We're talking, uh, uh, you know, no kind of security after your uh, college days that there's anything kind of for you out there in the, in the broader world. And then we've got, on top of that, you know, uh, children that have grown up, sorry, people that were, you know, 10 years old when 9-11 happened, that they've only known a political discourse of, like, fear in terrorism and um i think that that's a product of 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 the kind of uh sorry campus campus activism is a product of that kind of political discourse um this is something that jody dean uh talks about and uh also uh, jo jody dean is amazing she's like an absolute must read for anybody in political science okay who uh, or in yeah. humanities uh and also and also dr jennifer doyle in University of California, Riverside talks about how the neoliberal university uh, has kind of changed the character of, of the student experience of student politics. 
Anyway, Lawrence, I'll just stop and, and take a breath and let you jump in there. Okay, yeah, no worries. I, I was going to ask you why Russia has an army of trolls, but you answered that. And that's pretty scary. It's almost as scary as the fact that uh, North Korea built fake North Korean towns around Siberia for North Korean workers to go and live in and think they're in North Korea. Um, with the microaggression, um, I think we were, gonna, we were we had planned on specifically talking about uh, the the case recently in Missouri. Is, is I'm, am I correct in that? Yeah. So I've been following some of this, not super super closely. Right. And I want to say, listen, I want to just just put my cards on the table and say that I think there's a a, a point uh, from which uh, a lot of the new student activism should be criticized from the left, um, and and that I think that some of the way they talk about. Um, their resistance and activism is not necessarily left and is part of this broader paradigm of a kind of neoliberalized version of academia and studying and, and being a consumer, right, and having consumer rights and being protected. Um, and, and also, listen, the University yep. of Missouri, okay, so you know well, I mean, Missouri, no offense, is America's parking lot. It's Fox like. News country. It's flyover country. This is the people of, uh, I mean, when you're in a university town, and I grew up in a university town in the South, so you can be this place of, like, politics and of kind of liberal ideas surrounded by a sea of rednecks. Mm -hmm. Now, I mean, that's just my own experience. In that's Virginia, my experience as well. I imagine there's something quite similar in Missouri. And, and on top of that, obviously, you've got everything that's happening just an hour off campus at Ferguson. So I'm sure that the student body of, of Missouri has been suggest, subjected to a hell of a lot of macroaggressions, not just microaggressions. Um, but, yeah, where am I going to go with this? Okay, so where does my... Can I, can I stop you for in? just a second and ask you, maybe um, for some listeners out there, to, maybe if you could just define real briefly a microaggression. Some people... Don't you know, know that term. Actually, I will be honest with you, Lawrence. I don't think I can. Mm -hmm. But basically, I think, look, I think I don't want to be too critical of, of the Missouri campus in that the Missouri campus has seen some amazing things. It's seen the football team, you know, wield their um, political power. You know, you're talking about collegiate sports before. I mean, this is a place where the athletes recognize as students they have a voice, they have power, and they basically deposed uh, a student, uh, excuse me, a university president, which is an incredibly powerful moment for student power and all the rest of it, and I salute them. Um, but Yale is like kind of a, a better, the Yale activism was a better kind of distillation of this microaggression thing. And um, now, I mean, basically, we know that we encounter forms of misogyny and sexism and racism in our everyday lives. And when you're not uh, in a kind of privileged social category, the, the chance that you're going to encounter some of those uh, forms of just, you know, banal everyday racism uh, is obviously is heightened. And it's wrong. It's mad. It's infuriating. It compounds and, and you know, it, it explodes in kind of protest against racism. Now, the problem is, is when we try to give um, when we try to look for solutions, which is about giving university administrators power to monitor these things, okay? So, I'm sorry, I'm going to go into a long thing That's about fine. what happened at Yale, but basically um, at Yale there was a, uh, a, a university dorm or college headmaster who criticized the administrators, who put out a statement about 
uh, Halloween costumes and culture of appropriation and be very mindful and we're looking to, you know, kind of police this stuff. And a professor had made an open letter to the students and said, look, rather than giving university administrators power to police this stuff, and then, you know, it was kind of a slippery slope argument, but also it was a kind of like, well, look, they're infantilizing you to, you know, uh, seek university administrators' protection rather than confront people head on and say, "Hey, cracker, stop being such a goddamn cracker, you <laughs> racist cracker." Uh, it was kind of like students' power has been taken away um, and given to the administrators. Now, the Yale student body response, by and large, was to uh, respond as though this professor had said something horrendously racist, okay, and was, you know, hmm. um, protecting racism as free speech and all this kind of stuff. And I just, I just think it's wrong-headed. I think the way we fight racism, and, and microaggressions are obviously, you know, uh, a very difficult thing to deal with on a daily level, but the way we fight racism is by having a kind of, you know, a revolutionary culture that confronts this, that confronts the, the sources of this kind of racism and by creating our own culture and confronting people uh, not by looking for protection from administrators but just to bring it all back to the start when we have a culture that's built on insecurity and fear and all the rest of it then this is where that mentality of looking towards university administrators comes in anyway so that's microaggressions wow for me, anyway. that's a very succinct description of um my you know what? I'll, I'll, I'll be honest with you. What I've described would be probably upsetting to a lot of the people that they would say, "Look, you know, in your position as a privileged middle-class uh, white male academic, you can't quite understand, et cetera, et cetera." Now, this is a critical thing that I want to say. Why I think this is wrong is that we have gone towards a politics of personal testimony. So, the way I feel about something, Lawrence, becomes the ultimate measure of its um political symbolism now people's experiences are incredibly important and testimony is incredibly important but they should not be the measure within a radical leftist politics they should not be the measure by which we kind of uh defer to all right mm -hmm. because then we get stuck in this kind of neoliberal uh notion of like identity and politics where you know, I could never speak for you, and you could never speak for me, and you could never know what it's like until you walked a mile in our shoe. And then we're really debilitated. You know, we're all stuck with our own little individual stories, and we can't form a kind of broad solidarity culture which, you know, looks to destroy racism. Right. It's very individualistic and um, isolated, yeah. yeah. Which is and kind of. Thing, like student as consumer. And this is what we're seeing with um, the use of the trigger warning. Uh, paradigm in classrooms. Now, trigger warnings are a very serious thing, and they were meant to deal with, you know, uh, victims of sexual abuse, which is obviously the most, you know, horrific thing, and, and we want to take great care and consideration. I'm a teacher. I understand how you breach, sorry, broach, like, important and tough subject matter. But it's been extended to a whole range of crazy stuff. Um, it's a great article on Salon.com right now. Uh, um, which I encourage uh, people to read. I'll put that on the page um, as well. Anyway, I could go into it, but I won't. Yeah, trigger warnings are, to me are something I don't quite understand. I had a situation, I'm doing my master's here, and we had a really great lecturer come, and he showed some videos 
of um, the Sarajevo bombings in the marketplace in um, uh, uh -huh. Sarajevo or Kosovo, I don't remember now. But anyway, he said before, this is very graphic, you're going to see some very graphic images, which I've always had lecturers do, but yet somebody got really offended and said that he should have given a stronger trigger warning, yeah, and I, I mean, didn't really understand you know, what he was supposed to have said. Of, of political uh, prisoners being abused, and, and always, it's always like, listen, this, the following subject matter is this, the opportunity to leave the classroom is now, I realize, you know, you have the ability to leave at any time, um, et cetera, et cetera. But it's, just, it's, it's common sense. Now, having said that, this is the fundamental thing about education. And within a safe environment, we want to be able to confront some of our, uh, our and scrutinize some of our beliefs and opinions. That's, that's the road to, like, knowledge and wisdom. You know, that's what we're, we're trying to do here. Um, and sometimes, and in some instances, and I, and I realize the Internet loves to publicize the most outrageous thing, like, you know, there was this thing about a student association in Canada has banned yoga classes as cultural appropriation. And so as soon as any of these incidents happen, they get circulated, and the right wing looks to kind of, you know, use this to say, oh, the PC Gestapo are going to shut down everything, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but we, I, I think we've got to think about what kind of political culture are we creating here. I mean, there was an example. Just to bring us back to Missouri, all right? Now, you, did you see the incident of the, um, the student journalist that was, um, you know, I don't want to say assaulted, but manhandled? Did you no, I haven't seen this, no. You ha yeah, so this is about of creating a quote-unquote safe space on campus, right? Mm -hmm. so the students have set up this, this, this idea that they need a safe space. Um, and they strong-armed and pushed out um, a student journalist, right, from the student body, a guy who conducted himself with, I think, very calm and outstanding effort. I mean, teach journalism. You know, he did everything right. And he didn't join the group because, I, I mean, while... Uh, kind of activist journalism has its place. He, he wanted to just be, um, you know, a spectator in that kind of pure journalistic sense of objectivity. Um, and he conducted himself very well, but nevertheless, he was strong-armed out of the group. And there was this incredibly unfortunate incident where uh, a professor, you know, said, hey, somebody's still in here. We need some muscle. Get some muscle over here. So you have an academic, someone who is in the media communication department, attached with the journalism department looking to uh, strong arm, for lack of a better word, journalists, and to block people from the space, to create a safe space. Now, the thing about protests historically, right, the legacy of the left is we seize public space to push out from, right, to right. make a claim to the broader public, to connect with the broader public through, you know, whether it's various civil society groups or labor or whatever, to kind of reclaim the culture and reclaim the public space. But with this paradigm of safe space, we're just kind of retreating into these kinds of, um, you know, individualized and very personalized notions of politics, um, which I don't think helps us in the long run. I really don't think it does. Um, you've already seen there was a... Um, now, we don't know if it's 4chan trolls or not, but there was a claim that the, uh, somewhere in the University of California that there was a white students association that wanted to create a safe space, right? So, mm -hmm. a safe space for white supremacy. Now, I'm not saying, that may be a hoax, but, you know, it's not a dissimilar paradigm, all right? So, this kind of notion of politics can be used for very insidious uh, ends. Hmm. Yeah.
Oh, very interesting. Tim Green is sending me uh, Facebook PMs telling me to wrap it up. Who is? <laughs> you just have um, to deal with it, Jim Green. Yeah. He's given he's given he's given me the thumbs up and he's given you some sort of weird facial expression. So I don't know what's going on there. And slander for saying for deliberately provoking saying that I was a Canadian. Now, uh, I think he probably also told you to tell me uh, say on air that like How the Unclear is my favorite band. Um, they are your favorite band, aren't they? That's what he, that's what I was under the yeah, impression. Yeah, you know I sent through some music requests. My two music requests were Sean Price, Rest yep. in Peace, uh, and The Coup. But I don't know if that's lined up. But yeah, I'll try to put those on for you. But we were we were going to talk a little bit of basketball. We have a couple minutes. Uh, the one thing we could talk about how much you hate Kentucky, but I don't want to do that. Right, from microaggressions to, uh, to to ball. Let's just talk about how the Warriors are they going to win it all? Are they going to win seventy two games? That's my question. You know what? It, it's pretty nuts, man. I mean, they're nineteen and zero right now. Uh, they're playing a brand of ball that with the rule changes, right? I mean, listen, you used to be able to check your man in the nineties. That you, you know, like Jordan. I mean, the kind of defenses that he played against, the kind of defenses that Magic played against were pretty amazing. Mm. So um, the Warriors for this era are doing something spectacular and amazing. Oh, they're amazing to watch. Really amazing to watch. I mean, listen, I think only Allen Iverson is more captivating a player. I mean, I know that Steph is like the, the sweetest shooter of all time, but I still rank AI as um and you know i'm, I'm biased because he's from virginia mm. but i still rank ai as the most kind of like breathtaking exciting player to ever grace the floor but yeah. um i'm really um i'm loving my guy Porzingis right now right i've got a reason to be excited about the new york knicks which is my team mm. that's good because like somehow the the futility of my franchise is going to conspire to ruin this. I hope right? not because the NBA, you know, like the Knicks are a team. Insanity, although he looks legit, you know. Uh, heaven forbid he gets an injury. Oh my! I can't believe I even said that. That's I'm already. I've already. You have 30 years of history like that Dolan that you should feel that somehow. The NBA is better when the Knicks are good. That's just the reality. When it's a playoff game in the Garden. It's there's nothing better than that, and it, I'm not really a Knicks fan. I loved Patrick Ewing as a kid. For some reason, when you're a kid, you pick players you love, and that was one of mine. And um, well, it, it's bizarre. They're the only. They are the only New York franchise, professional franchise, that's pretty much not hated. I, I guess the Mets is in there too, but yeah. So listen, um, I'm loving. I'm loving ball right now. I, and I got to shout out the University of Virginia, which has been a good college ball team for the last few years. Yeah, you were really good last year. Oh, is a Kiwi? He's on that team. Yep, there's a Kiwi on Kentucky now as well. Actually. Yeah, so New Zealand ball is, uh, is doing some things, man. Yeah, so is Australia. They got the best player in the country right now, Ben Simmons. It's unbelievable. Oh, but oh my God, oh my God. I'm looking. For, I've got that marked on my calendar. That game, Louisiana and. I mean, uh, he he, he kind of reminds me of Sean Livingston. I mean, when Sean Livingston was coming straight out of high school, they said he was going to be the next Magic. But he's kind of like a six eleven Sean Livingston, right? Yeah. Um, his jumper is okay. Yeah. It's okay. I mean. You know, He's I, got good I, eyes, good passing skills. but this this guy's phenomenal. Yeah. Well, before I let you off, Olivier, anything you want to plug? Anything you want to say? Anything people can check out from you? Oh, damn! I don't know. I've got a lot of boring academic articles that I could plug, but no one will want to read them. So All right. Well, I'll put your. I'll, I'll spare you that. Yeah, I'll link you up some um, stuff up on the radio one and. Uh, we'll, no, man, that's it. I've been I've enjoyed uh, talking to right. you, Lawrence. Maybe we'll have you on again sometime to geek out stuff. on basketball. Thank you, Olivier.